Father Nathaniel is his name, and he and I, we hang out from time to time, and uh, when we do, um, we probably look like this motley crew, because he's got his robes on, and I was wearing like this, and, um, but we hang out, and you know what we do? We pray, and uh, we pray uh, for God to do a great work in our city. We pray for the people that God has asked us to serve, and uh, on this Palm Sunday, uh, Father Nathaniel and the Anglican Church here in town, they're doing a processional right now through our city. And we were talking a couple weeks ago, and they're, they're walking around, and we're going to see what the, the original Palm Sunday processional looked like. But they're, these guys and, and, and gals, they are cruising around our city, and they are singing. They're lifting up the name of Jesus, and they're praying over certain spots. And he told me that along the way, they wanted to stop by the bridge. And I was like, well, what are you guys going to be doing? Yeah. I'm like, what are you guys going to be doing? He's like, we're going to be praying. And I was like, where, like outside? Or? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, well, why don't you just come inside and pray uh, over our church? So um, most of you guys have probably ne- never met, uh, I call him Brother Nathaniel. But, um, but would you give him a, a, just a bridge welcome? He's going to come in. He's going to say a, prayer, a Palm Sunday blessing over our church. So come on in, bro. <laughs> Same to you, my man. Bless you guys. Love you. This is great. Happy Palm Sunday. High five. Good job. Yeah, you guys. Same to you. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Yeah, that's awesome, right? Yeah, that was dope.
You know, he did a lot of practice to be here at that time. He was like, I'm like, what time are you starting? He's like, 10. I'm like, well, what time are you be our, by our place? He's like, I don't know. I'm like, can you make it 10, 20? <laughs> and they, they've, they're, they're like mid-procession. That's cool. That's really cool. Um, and he's right. Amidst differences, there's uh, the things that we have in common are the most important. All right. It's been an emotional morning, so I could be, I'm on the verge already of, uh, of preaching and crying all at the same time. I got a message I want to share with you guys about this awesome day that we call Palm Sunday. I'm going to teach it out of the book of Luke. So Luke chapter 19, if you want to open up your Bibles or if you have an app or a way to get on, uh, get into God's word, um, Luke chapter 19 is where we're going to be. I want to read you guys some verses and... Uh, then we'll, get, then we'll get started. So we're going to be in Luke 19. And I'm going to start in verse 29. And I want to read through verse 44. It says this. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, or the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they, sat, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. If you're a highlighter or an underliner type of person, that's the verse. Verse 37. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all of the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Verse 39. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Or in some translations might say, Tell them to be quiet. And he answered, I tell you, if these people were silent, the very stones would cry out. Verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, He wept, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. 
and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for this morning. We thank you for what is being remembered and celebrated all around the world today. For probably most churches across denominational lines and all the different things, we're all probably, especially in this next week, we are in the same place in your word. We are teaching some of the same things and we are showing that we are united in these things, who you are, what you came to accomplish, and who we are to you. So Lord, we open up your word. We open up our heart, and um, we praise with a loud voice all that you want to accomplish in our city and in our homes. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> the title of my message is Behold Your King. Behold your king. This, Luke chapter 19, Mark uh, chapter 11, John chapter 12, something like that, and Matthew towards the end, all four of the gospels, the gospel accounts, have some sort of um, telling and recounting of the triumphal entry it's called, Palm Sunday it's called. We call it Palm Sunday because of John's account. Do you know that? Why do we call it Palm Sunday? Because in the Gospel of John it says, and some people grabbed palm branches and laid them down. So they used their coats or different things, and some people grabbed palm branches. So what we're talking about, what is Holy Week? I was a Christian for a long time before I knew any... before I knew any of this stuff. I had to piece it together as I went and just act like I knew what was up the whole time. Mm, bless you too. Happy Palm Sunday. Mm-hmm. I was like, palm, high five? I don't, palm, palm. Um, what we're talking about is the last week of Jesus' life and ministry on earth. We're coming into Jesus's. So we've covered uh, through the, our short gospel account about three years, and from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday is what Jesus would say, I have finished the work. When he's praying, John chapter 17, he's like, Lord, I, Father, I finished what you entrusted me to do. So we're looking at Jesus's final week before the cross, which will be on Friday. So could you imagine right now on this day, that we are celebrating Jesus enters into the place where he's going to be nailed to a cross uh, five days later, Friday. We'll have Good Friday service. We're going to talk about, so if you're unfamiliar with, with what is called Holy Week or Passion Week or the last week of Jesus' uh, life before he was um, crucified and then rose again, we're going to talk about it on Friday. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give an account of the whole week. All the things that went on. Good Friday is such a rad service. You should come. 
this Friday, 6.30, right? Right. Um, it's awesome, and it's a great way for us to be like, oh, okay, and see how all the things that happened in Jesus' last week. And then next Sunday, we're going to celebrate the fact that not only did Jesus do the things that he did, teach the things that he taught, be crucified on the cross on behalf of you and me, which we'll get into, but then he showed that not even death can hold him down from accomplishing his purposes in the world and in your life. Amen. Somebody say amen. amen. But that's next Sunday, so chill out, JJ. We'll get there. This was a Sunday, Palm Sunday. Jesus did not randomly decide to enter Jerusalem on this particular day. Why Palm Sunday? Why did the, all of this happen? Why, did the, why the donkey? Why the clothes? Why the stuff? Sometimes it's, it's easy to read the scripture and be like, oh, and then Jesus did this, I guess, because he wanted to. And then he did this because maybe he felt like it. This was not a random um, act. This was a particular, precise act. It happened during the week of Passover. The Passover is the most special time of year for the Jewish person and the nation as a whole, the Jewish nation, nation as a whole. The Passover, the week of the Passover, specifically the, the killing of the Passover lamb and the eating of the Passover meal, it's very foreign to our Western ears and Western culture because it's not our um, tradition. It's, 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 but for the, for the Jewish person and Jewish family, it was not only something you did, it was part of your identity. It was the most special week of the year. I was trying to think about in, in our Americanized world, if there's a week, and there's nothing that compares for us to what Passover is and means for the Jewish people. People traveled to Jerusalem for weeks to get there because they walked <laughs> or maybe they, you know, had a, had a caravan. They traveled for weeks every year just to celebrate Passover with the entirety of as many people as could come together in the city of Jerusalem. It's, it, Jerusalem's population would swell from, I'm, I'm forgetting the numbers, but from, let's, from like 50,000 or 100,000 inside the walls of the city to well over a million people or more, some would say. There were just people everywhere. Close your eyes. Remember pre-COVID, it was like that. <laughs> where, where I just traveled with my son. And we were in some places this last week, and we looked at each other. We are like, there's a lot of people in here. It was like that. It was the most special week of the year for the Jewish person, person and nation. It celebrating Passover dated back over 1,400 years to when God delivered the nation from the oppressive rule of Egypt. You guys remember that story or that account? Pharaoh, Pharaoh, whoa, baby, let my people go. That was Moses. And the Lord, after captivity for 430 years, delivered the people of Israel out of the bondage of Pharaoh in Egypt, and he did it miraculously. And on the last night before 
the parting of the Red Sea and the people and, the, and the, the Jewish nation walked out of captivity to be a free people, God said, I want you to slaughter a lamb, one per household. And I want you to take the, the and you cooked it in a particular way. This is what Passover meal represents. They cooked it in a particular way. It was even uh, butchered in a particular way. And then you, it was eaten in a particular way. And then you were to take some of the blood of the lamb and they put it on the doorposts of their house. And then when the angel of death came through, if you had this marking upon the doorposts of your home, the angel passed over your home, hence Passover. 1,400 years before, they've been keeping it ever since. It was a week of heightened national pride. This is who we are. This is what God has done. And so people would get together. It was the biggest celebration. It was also a week of heightened security within Jerusalem. Because if you remember, Jerusalem was ruled not by the Jews, but by the Roman Empire. So it's sort of like, you can party, but you got to keep it you can only turn it up to seven. And so that's why Pontius Pilate was in town. We'll talk about him on Friday. He was there to make sure it didn't get turned up to 11. He was there to keep, make sure the lid stayed on and there was no crazy national political uprising. And so that's why he was there. Jesus and his disciples were going to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover along with everyone else. They were going, as far as the disciples were concerned, to celebrate this along with everybody else. But only God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit knew all that was going to take place over the next seven days. That's, what, that's why today is known as Palm Sunday. And what we're doing is we're remembering Jesus entering Jerusalem for the last time. Until he enters it for the last time. He enters it this time. When he comes and enters it again, he's going to enter in the same fashion, but in a totally different way. He will enter her again as king, but he's not going to enter on a donkey, as we see today, he's going to enter in a different fashion. So let's look at Palm Sunday. So here's what I want to do. I've titled this message, Behold Your King. Because Jesus, in this, believe it or not, was making a statement. He was sending a message. So I got three things about the kingship, our King Jesus. Three things about the kingship that Jesus himself presented on Palm Sunday. I want to talk about those with you today. The first one is this. What type of king is Jesus? He's a promised king. He was one that didn't just happen to be. He was the king that God had promised to give his people since the beginning. 
since sin entered the world and the first prophecy was given, that there's going to be one who's going to come who's going to make everything the way it's supposed to be. Who's going to be, we're called the bridge, our church. It's because Jesus is the bridge who bridges humanity with God the Father. His life, his work, his teaching, his death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus is the bridge. He is the one that was promised that would come. Notice how Jesus enters the city with precision. Go, send two people. They get a donkey. They come back. Did you know that that, uh, the Bible tells us nearly 300 references to 61 specific prophecies or things foretold about the king that was going to come. 61 different prophecies that would be fulfilled by the Messiah or the Savior, the one they were waiting for, that were fulfilled by Jesus. So we're going to go through all 61. You ready? All right, let's go. No, we are not going to do that because I have three points, and this is just point one. But just for sake of um, example, I'm going to tell you very fast. Eight prophecies about the Messiah that people were waiting for that were fulfilled in Jesus. Number one, that this Savior would be born of a virgin. Hey, Merry Christmas. That's a little pastoral joke. Uh, number two, that he would be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5.2 says, says this. Uh, that this, this Messiah would be from the lineage of King David, Jeremiah. That prophecy was given in uh, 600 BC. That he would, number four, would enter Jerusalem on a donkey. Zechariah chapter 9.9, that was given for 487 BC. That was given. Jesus here is 30-ish AD that he comes in. Fulfills it, that one. People would cast lots, shoot dice for the Messiah's clothing. That happened when Jesus was on the cross because he had this super rad tunic that his mother made him. And when they were stripped of it and nailed to the cross, they didn't want it. The, the, the soldiers didn't want to tear it because it was so cool. So they're like, you know, let's shoot dice for it. So they cast lots. That was foretold. That's sort of it's oddly specific. Um, that he would have his hands and his feet pierced. Psalm 22, verse 16, a thousand years prior to this, that was given. And that a messenger would be sent to herald the Messiah, John the Baptist. I say these eight because let me tell you this, for all you math nerds out there, I'm about to blow your mind. A professor of mathematics, Peter Stone, gave 600 students a math problem, math probability problem that would determine the odds for one person to fulfill eight specific prophecies. What are the chances that one person could fulfill? There's a math, there's math for everything. The students calculated that the odds against one person fulfilling all eight prophecies are astronomical. And I'll give you a number that doesn't make sense. 10 to the 21st power. Uh, 10 to the 21st power doesn't make sense to me. That's like saying $1 billion. But to illustrate this number, 
the professor gives this following example. Blanket the whole earth, all the land, not the oceans, but all of the land over the whole earth with silver dollars 120 feet high. Okay? That's a lot. The whole earth. He couldn't have just said Washington or something. The whole earth. Secondly, mark one dollar, send one person out to have them randomly bury this one silver dollar. And then thirdly, blindfold a third person, have them randomly walk around the whole world, and the chances of them stopping, reaching down, digging, doing whatever they want, and pulling out that one marked dollar, that's 10 to the 21st power. So what are we saying? All history had pointed toward this single spectacular event when the Messiah, Jesus, publicly presented himself to the nation, and God wanted that to be acknowledged. Jesus was precise. Nothing he did was random. And this day that we are remembering and talking about was for a specific reason. I love this verse. One of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, Zechariah 9.9, tells the people this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, which is people of Jerusalem. Shout loud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That was given 500 years prior to this day. It's safe to say that Jesus wanted to arrive in the city in a particular way on a particular day that conveyed both his kingship, that he is king, and the way he was going to rule. He was the promised king. The second thing is he is a powerful king. Jump down to verse 37. And as he was drawing near, already down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. I love some of these verses in the Old Testament. When you read along and you come across something that talks about this one that's coming, we know that it's speaking of Jesus, but they were looking forward to the, to the one that was going to come. For instance, Jeremiah 23, verse 5, Behold, the days are coming. They were coming for them. We look back. The, days, the day has come. The days are coming, declare the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. That means an offshoot of the lineage of this person, King David. And he shall reign as king, and he will deal wisely. How many people long for a ruler who will do everything well? Right? Everything. He'll rule wisely. How many people long for a time when someone doesn't, doesn't say, no, there's no such thing as justice, but will know how to administer justice perfectly? You know, we don't long for there to be no justice. We just 
long in our hearts for it to be done perfectly. God said, behold, the days are coming where there will be one that will deal wisely. He will execute justice and righteousness in the land. 2 Samuel 7, 13 says, and he will build a house for my name. Notice not in a building. If you're a follower of Jesus, the house is within you. And it says, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This is a powerful ruler that was coming. Verse 37 says, and the people saw this and they were shouting because of the what? The mighty works that they had seen. The stuff that they had seen Jesus do. The things that they had heard him teach. Matthew 11 Chapter 5 tells us, when Jesus speaking, he said, the blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and I love that this is in there too, and the good news is being preached to the poor. You want social justice? Jesus is the ultimate social justice advocate because he cares for all people the same. Doesn't matter where you're from. Doesn't matter if you have physical ailment. It doesn't mean if you're rich. It doesn't mean if you're poor. He cares for, how can he do that? Because he doesn't ever blanket statement a single person. He says that he looks past the color of your skin into the contents of your heart. And he says, that's my child. That's my son. That's my daughter. That's who Jesus is. Those are the mighty works. People that have been touched physically, by Jesus' hands, that had been changed spiritually and on the inside from the things that Jesus had said and taught, and they could not hold it in when they saw him, and they were shouting, this is who Jesus is. Praise God for the one that he finally sent to save us. One of the mighty works in particular that John's account of this tells us is that Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb. The last miracle recorded before Jesus comes into Jerusalem was the raising of Lazarus from the dead. You can go and read in John chapter 12 and see that uh, account where where he comes four days later on purpose after Lazarus had died and his sisters were broken. And they were like, Lord, if you would have been here, maybe you could have done something. But remember, our, our God is precise. Everything he does is with purpose. But I ain't preaching on Lazarus today, so don't get me started. Because it's where all of us have been when Jesus saw his state and he wept for what death and destruction had done to his people to the human race for what we'd allowed things to happen to ourselves, And now we, we have this physical death. We were never created to die physically. It was sin that entered the world that caused this to happen. And so Jesus sees Lazarus and he weeps and he says, take me to him. And then he goes and he shows some power and he's like, kicks the door down and he says, Lazarus, come forth. Where did he call him from? Not from behind a rock in a tomb. He called him from beyond death back to life. And people had seen this, and it says that was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. 
Jesus is powerful. But the way Jesus enters, that's what we need to understand because it's, listen, you guys, let, this needs to like hit home in some of our heads and in our hearts. It's not just that you have power. Moms, dads, people of authority. Um, it's not just that you have power, but it's the way you wield the power that you have. I love what this person this person said. It says, we call this event the triumphal entry, but it was a strange kind of triumph. If you spoke of Jesus' triumphal entry to a Roman, Roman Empire ruled, there would have been soldiers, lots of them watching. They were the baddest army in the land, in the whole world. And they saw this person coming in and people were going, here, the king is here, the king is here. If they would have seen this, it says, they would have laughed at you. For them, a triumphal entry was an honor granted to a Roman general who won a complete and decisive victory and had killed at least 5,000 enemy soldiers. When that general returned to Rome, they had an elaborate parade. First came the treasures captured, by, captured from the enemies. They would march the spoils down the, down the street. Then they would march all the people they took prisoner that were going to be the slaves that were sold or the things. They would march them down in front of everyone. Then the armies would march by unit by unit, and then finally the general would ride last in a golden chariot pulled by magnificent horses. Priests would burn incense in his honor. The crowd shouted his name and praised him, and the procession ended at the arena where some of the prisoners were thrown to wild animals for the entertainment of the crowd. Maximus Aurelius, uh, gladiator style. That, to them, was a triumphal entry. Not a Galilean peasant sitting on a pony with a few coats over it. But if Jesus is king and everything he does for a reason, then what is it that he wants to show us about his power? That he doesn't need to flaunt it that he doesn't that the way he wields it means something why a donkey it showed what kind of king he was for the donkey symbolized peace and humility jesus came not only to show that he is king but that he is the prince of peace he also showed that he has power over creation Young horse, old horse, doesn't matter. It's still a wild horse on which no one had ever sat. And for someone to lay some coats on a horse, anyone ever tried to break a horse before? Me neither. <laughs> I want to, though. I almost did once, but my cousin Sean went first. And he sat on this thing, and it was a pony. And, and Sean sat on it. And that thing took off across the field. I didn't know a small horse could move so fast. I was too busy being laughing. I was laughing so hard I couldn't see because I was crying. And I was terrified for my cousin all at the same time. And this horse was like, 
took off across the field, and I'm sitting there like, oh, my, I'm so glad I didn't go first because <laughs> it's either me or him, and his dad and my dad were there, and this thing took off across the field, and I was like, oh, and he made it from here to, a, you know, a couple hundred feet away. He was doing good. The thing didn't buck, just gone. And then it did one little thing like this, and Sean came <laughs> off, and he hit the ground. And we were in Texas, by the way, so he didn't have a shirt on because that's like part of the deal. You can't break a horse with a shirt on if you're a, jo if you're a Johnson. And, uh, and so he gets up, and I turned around, and he was just destroyed all down his back. And he came walking back like this. And I just, I'll never forget, my dad goes, well, he sure walks like a cowboy. <laughs> Oh, that was funny. <laughs> so I think about grabbing a random pony and taking him. The Lord has need of you. Why? To show that there's purpose in everything he does. To show that he, when a king enters, he doesn't have to march the spoils of war before himself. He can just present himself. That's how he's going to wield his power. The, because we'll get to it, but the kingdom that he wants to offer, it's not by force, but by invitation. Power over creation and the fact that if these people had not been yelling out, this day had been foretold for so long that he was going to come in. He says, if these people... Don't say, I tell you, the earth itself would cry out and tell and, and, and proclaim who he is on this particular day because it was foretold it was going to happen. It was foretold that it was going to happen. So one way or another, it was going to happen. He has power over creation. And he has power not just over another nation, over another army, but listen, you guys, Jesus Christ has power over both sin and death. He was operating on a whole other program. On Friday, five days from now, while the smoke was rising up from the temple as all of these families would bring in their lamb to be slaughtered, part of it would be sacrificed to the Lord. The rest of it they would take home and they would cook and then they would eat with their, with their families. While the smoke from the temple was rising up with the aroma of the lambs that were being sacrificed, Jesus would be hanging on the cross. the Passover lamb who was sent to take away the sin of the world. You want to talk about power? Let's talk about Jesus's ability to single-handedly usher in a peace treaty between man and God. See, the Pharisees understood what was happening. That's why they said, tell your disciples to stop this, this Messiah stuff, all this Savior stuff. You know that when it says Hosanna, Hosanna, that's what they're yelling. Hosanna is a translation of a Hebrew word that was translated in Greek for the New Testament, but it means save us right now. It means like today's like Hosanna. That's what they're saying. Son of David, blessed is the one who comes. We've been waiting for this. It says throughout the New Testament 
over and over that people have said they tried to make Jesus king by force, but he would not let them. You ever run across that saying in the, in, the, in the Bible? You're like, what does that mean? And it says, and the people came and they tried to make Jesus king by force, but he snuck out. Why wouldn't he want them to make him king? Because it was on this day that he allowed them to finally tell him, uh, allow them to make him king or to say, there he is. He is our king and he allows it here. And the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the ones that were supposed to be leading the pack, they were like, no way, you can't do that. Because in their mind, their Messiah was coming to rule politically, was going to be like that first one we saw, that first uh, ruler, that first king with the chariots and the, and the gold and like the fitting to kick some butt. That's who they were looking for. But the Pharisees understood. That's why they told Jesus to rebuke his followers so they would stop calling him the king. Our king is powerful. Even if he wields it in ways that you don't understand or don't make sense in our world. Because in our world, the people that get hurt the most are the people who kick the hardest. But Jesus doesn't operate like that. The third and, and final thing for us to think about for what they would have seen that day. and I didn't know. And this one starts with a P also because I'm a pastor and that's what we do. So you can remember a promised king, a powerful king. But write both of these down because I was torn. A peaceful king and a personal king. Look at verses 41 through 44. When he drew near and he saw the city, he wept over it. What kind of king stops for a cry on his way to his inauguration? And this is what he said. Would that you, even you, of all people, of all places, if you had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come, the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you, comma. Here's the reason why. Because you did not know the time of your visitation. You didn't know who was here. So he says, the days are coming when all of this stuff is going to happen. All of that stuff happened. Um, Let's, if this was 30 AD, it happened in 73 or 70 AD. Rome finally said enough is enough, and they rolled in, and they destroyed Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple that stood. That's why there's no temple there now. You know what is there now? The temple mount, the foundation of where it was all built, it was there. That is still there. But the temple was destroyed. 70 AD, they came in. It says not one stone was left standing, and there wasn't, and they were big stones. 
they knocked them down because they set fire to everything, 70 A.D., and all the gold, because the temple was, like, laced in gold. It was, it was one of the wonders of the world. And all the gold melted down in between the cracks, so they had to get to the gold. So how do you do it? You smash the rocks. So all of this, Jesus was saying, it happened. Because they didn't recognize the king that was standing before them, another king came in and thrashed the place. Here's what they missed, according to what Jesus is saying here. They missed the way he was going to rule. What they miss is that Jesus wasn't coming to rule the world, but to give himself as a ransom for many. See, the people wanted his kingship politically, but not personally. Now, fast forward 2,000 and 22 years later. And let me read that last statement again to be reminded of who Jesus is on this Palm Sunday. People want Jesus' kingship politically, but not personally. We want all the stuff that we feel like he can do, but we might miss the point of who he is, just like they did. Jesus was not coming to show his power over Rome, but to make peace between God and mankind. And Jesus wept over the state of the people. You see, they got together and they did the meal and celebrated Passover and talked about the glory days gone by and looked forward to the glory days to come, but they missed the one of glory that was standing in their midst. Verse 42, would you have known this day the things that make for peace? But you do not know the time of your visitation. You know, Jesus is king. Way before Kanye wrote an album called that. And one day he will rule with righteousness and justice But first, according to him, he wants to rule your heart with righteousness and justice. Before we say, we say, bring the kingdom, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He taught us this prayer to pray. Would you pray it for yourself first? We like to be like the us, the we, our country but give me this day my daily bread. Forgive me my trespasses. It says us because we're meant to do it in community. Your kingdom come, Lord, in my life. Your will be done in my heart. Let it be in my world as it is in heaven where you rule perfectly. He will rule the world, but let me tell you, he first wants to rule your hearts. And the kingdom of God is not received by force but received by faith. How does the gospel spread? How do we tell people about Jesus? How does Christianity spread in our times when people don't seem to care? I saw a nun on the plane yesterday. I was with Jonah, and he was like, her clothes are different. I'm like, yeah, she's a nun. We talked about what that means. Her life is set apart for service of the Lord and all this stuff. But I couldn't help but think about, here's a nun, but we live in a time 
for the first time ever, more people identify as nuns, and not N-U-N, but N-O-N-E, than any other time before. Meaning, like, what religion are you? You know what I mean? Like, what, what is your faith practice? And most people, more than any other time since we've been recording <laughs> or keeping track, people identify as I'm nothing. I don't know why I had a conversation with a person this morning when we were getting ready for church. He was a nun. He wanted nothing to do with his perceived thoughts of what we did in this place, of who he thought I was, that's for sure. And that hurt, you know, that was super hard. But guess what? I don't force the kingdom of God upon that person. We don't force the kingdom of God upon anyone because Jesus didn't force the kingdom of God and his rule upon anyone. He invited that, and by his Holy Spirit, drawing people in through the word of God, drawing people in by the people of God, drawing people in. That's why it doesn't matter where you were last night. When you come in here, as long as you're not a threat to yourself or others, you are, we're, we're in this together, and it'll always be that way, not just on Palm Sunday. That's part of our DNA. That's part of being part of the kingdom of God. Because it says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the gospel. And that's all, it's, it's my job to present the reality of who Jesus is, the way he rules, not just what he can do, but why and how he does it. Because the way you receive Jesus as king, you give him out to others. I felt this morning, I didn't do it because Brother Nathaniel, but I really felt this morning when we were singing that somebody here today needed to hear this. God loves you. Yeah, he knows everything. And he doesn't erase those years. Those years are there for a reason. And they're there, and that time is there so you could know the extent of God's love. He doesn't love you because you don't do that stuff anymore. He loves you in the midst of all that stuff. He doesn't love you now because that you say, yeah, Palm Sunday, Hosanna, God, you're my king, I follow you. He doesn't love you because you say that. He loves you because you're you. And he loves you because Jesus, we're going to see it this week. He loves you because Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you so much that he entered, not as this ruling king, but as this humble servant on a donkey, And he did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Some of you are under a lot of shame, a lot of guilt. You don't have to be. You don't have to stay in that place. The invitation is this. Allow Jesus in all his glory and all his power and all his humanity to rule in your heart to have space and a say in your life. 
and you watch what he'll do on your insides. It says that you become a new person. I'll never forget that feeling of when I was feeling the worst and the best all at the same time. My sin, when I gave my life to Jesus, I was like experiencing all this stuff where I felt really bad for a lot of stuff. I'd done a lot of bad things to a lot of people. I'd hurt a lot of people. And I was feeling really shame. And the devil, he was real quick to tell me my options. We give in to, to, to hearing all those options, who we are apart from Jesus. And Jesus says, I got another option. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's just because he loves you as much as he does. Jesus came into Jerusalem with precision. He lived and he walked and he operated with power. All the while, his desire is to rule personally. That's what Palm Sunday is. It's a reminder that the reign of Christ is far greater than the mind of man could ever conceive or plan. Man looks for someone to fight their battles in the present-day world. Yet God had the ultimate plan of sending his son to fight the battle over death. He is operating on a whole different program. This is the greatness of why we celebrate this week, of why no matter what, every, every year it's worth remembering Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday. Some people are like, oh, it's the Super Bowl of church. Not, it's the baseline for who we are. It's not the pinnacle of the year. It's the baseline of operations. It's like when you do an update on your computer, and then after it's done and you get the spin wheel, the spin wheel, we'll call it that, that lasts forever, and you're like, is it, and then it comes back, and it's just your regular home screen. It's not this new thing. You're like, well, all the, the files are in the computer. But it's this sense of the, the computer looks the same, but now you have a whole new base of operations from which you launch out into this stuff. That's what Passion Week is. It's not a pinnacle. It's the baseline. This is who you are. This is who Jesus is. So let us respond this morning. For some of us here, I believe it's responding for the very first time to the reality of who Jesus is. Don't be afraid. Be excited. Be received by the Lord with open arms. For some of us, we need to remember Jesus' ways are not your ways. He's doing something bigger than getting you out of a situation you don't want to be in. The glory days, we think about how good stuff used to be or how good stuff will be, and Jesus is saying, no, it's right now. This is, what, this is the present reality. Jesus is already ruling, and he invites you to let him rule in your world as well. There's something crazy powerful about a people who understand this. We'll see that the people didn't have it all together. As a matter of fact, in 
in a week's time. A lot of them that were yelling, Hosanna, were going to be yelling, crucify him. Why? It's not because Jesus wasn't who he said he was. It's because they didn't understand what it is that he wanted to do. But I couldn't get this one verse out of my head all week. And it was said that his disciples, that some of them went before him as he came into town, and some of them followed him. I think about a boxer entering the ring. I almost titled today, and in this corner. (laughs) But as Jesus was coming in, there was an atmosphere of praise. There was something that was loud and from the heart, and it spread like wildfire to where all of a sudden thousands of people were declaring who Jesus is because of this group that went in front of him and this people that came behind that were yelling, he is here, he is here. And I was just thinking about how powerful an atmosphere of praise is. So maybe as we sing this last song and we think about what Palm Sunday is and who Jesus is, maybe our hearts and this building could be that atmosphere of praise that God would work in and through. So happy Palm Sunday. Happy uh, Passion Week, some call it. Holy Week, others call it. But as you go through this week, um, may you just be encouraged by who Jesus is, how much he loves you, and uh, the plans he has, not just for you, but the plans he has for our city and our world. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for who you are, and we, we say together, Hosanna in the highest. Lord, come into this place. We receive you as our king. Your rule is perfect. Your rule is just. Your rule is righteous. And your rule includes all people. I want to pray for anyone in this room that has never um, given themselves to the rule of Jesus because you thought it looked different than that. You thought he was going to rule with an iron fist and that he was mad at you. But today you need to hear that Jesus loves you. He has plans and purposes for your life that that even if they were told to you, they're, they're too good to be true. That's what he has. So Lord, we thank you. We sing this song to you. We ask you would keep doing such a rad work in our midst. We love you in Jesus' name.